Welcome to the Language 180 podcast, where we talk about gospel fluency across cultures. I'm James, and I'm here with Preston, and this is one of several episodes where we will talk about the theme of Preston's book, 1,000 Cups of Tea, Field Guide. Today we get to talk with a language coach from East Asia about some of these themes. To start off with, let's talk about what it means to be a lifelong learner. You know, many times we start well with things, whether it's language or something else, and we want to finish well. But some of the best learners I know are those who who just continue to learn, and they have this lifelong learning posture. The more they learn, the more they realize how much more they need to learn. So what does it mean to be a lifelong learner? Yeah, thank you. So being a lifelong learner is something that I feel like is easy to say, I want to do this. But as I look at my language learning and look at those around me, I realize we often get distracted from ongoing intentional learning. And I think there's a few things that lead to this. You know, one of those is just that we get busy. We fail to see how continuing to learn language actually can integrate really well, should integrate really well with what we're doing in life. Because we don't see that and because we don't prioritize ongoing learning, it sort of gets shuffled to the side. We move into this maintenance mode rather than continuing to develop our proficiency, to develop our skills. When we first arrive in a cross-cultural environment, we're excited. We're eager to learn. We want to know our community. We want to know um, how people communicate, how they language with one another. And so we're quick to learn. But at the same time, we we realize we're sort of out of control. We've reverted to being a, a baby in terms of communication. And many of us have this sudden urge to get in control of our environment. And so we learn one way to say something or one understanding of a phrase. And once we do that, we, we lock in. We put some pretty rigid boundaries on that box. And what happens with that is we get frustrated when we encounter uh, sort of counter examples. And we also stall out that language learning process by trying to have this really rigid box. And so as we think about all of these things in terms of this goal, this desire to be a lifelong learner, I'd encourage us to stop and ask, well, how do we keep going? One of those things is this idea of being okay with communication, having some ambiguity, that maybe there's not only one way to say pineapple, for instance. Maybe you're in a community where there's influence from another language or dialect, and actually in the market, it's a different word for pineapple than what you might have learned in a textbook. And being comfortable with that, or being comfortable with um, realizing that words and phrases may have abstract meanings as well as concrete meanings, that your initial understanding of a certain phrase may not be the full understanding of that phrase. And so being comfortable with those things. But of course, in order to be a lifelong learner, we need to continue to intentionally learn. We need to have a plan, look for opportunities to learn, and engage those. And in my mind, a simple thing 
that you could do, whether you've been in your community for six months or six years, is have a plan each day when you go out. I want to go try to practice my understanding of something, some word, some phrase. And to stick with the pineapple example, maybe I just want to go out and talk to three or four people to see how they describe what a pineapple tastes like, what the flavor is, what it is. I realize that's a bit of a silly example, but I suspect if I went to ask four or five of my neighbors, hey, can you describe a pineapple to me? I would probably get four or five different descriptions that could help grow my language. It would help me to get to know my neighbors. And honestly, it should be a fun process. Yeah, we never stop learning, do we, in cross-cultural environments? Uh, we, we always want to be lifelong learners. You mentioned one thing. You mentioned this motivation, this like internal eagerness in the beginning of a lot of our unit's language learning and a lot of our language learning. But, you know, a lot of learners find themselves in less than ideal learning environments because of the places we go. I mean, not all of us have amazing teacher who's had decades of teaching cross-cultural workers. They're kind of at the mercy of whoever they're stuck with, um, kind of at the mercy of a bad teacher, uh, to say it another way. Could you share maybe, in your opinion, how new units can avoid this pitfall if they do get stuck at the mercy of a bad teacher and how they can take responsibility for creating their own healthy learning environment? Yeah, James, I think that's a really important question. To me, one of the first steps is to realize we might not be able to avoid the pitfall of a less than ideal situation. The attitude we bring into that environment is key. It's so important. And so we have the opportunity to come in and take responsibility for our language learning. Um, The growing participator approach uses the phrase uh, learner-led learning. I would encourage all of us to consider how we might do this. Now, one of the things that taking responsibility does not mean is that you fly solo, right? So this doesn't mean you go out without any support and just do whatever you want. We take responsibility by engaging well with supervisors, language coaches, with native speakers who can help us on this journey. We take responsibility by engaging with those folks as well. And so with that in mind, um, you mentioned you mentioned the classroom environment. What if we get stuck with a bad teacher? When I hear that phrase, it, it seems to me that that student is thinking, all of my language learning is tied up in this classroom and maybe with the associated homework. And so it feels like, It's a defeated situation because my one source is this and it's not good. And so, number one, in that classroom environment, whether your teacher is good or bad, there's always the one student. I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but the one student who is the first to ask a question, the first to offer an example, the first to bring up a random topic that doesn't seem in line with class, that student is always talking and engaging with the teacher and ends up directing the class. One of the simple things that I think we can do, whether it feels comfortable or not, is we can be the person who's directing that class and help get the most out of that situation. And I 
that can be an aspect of taking responsibility for our learning. Another bigger issue, though, is having a more holistic picture of our learning environment. And so realizing that it's not just class with that teacher that is our learning situation. We also have homework time or self-study time. And of course, we ought to have good community engagement time that may be difficult in the beginning, but if we're doing the other things well, that will continue to develop and grow. We can take advantage of what even seems to be a less than ideal classroom time, and we can take responsibility and, and still make that situation work for us. Then of course, with homework and self-study time, part of taking responsibility is to do that thing. Even though there might be distractions like our computer or our phone, um, we might feel like we can't put our energy into that. When we faithfully invest in good self-study time, it helps us. That's part of taking responsibility. And finally, going out in our community, talking with our neighbors, and even if initially it's just a lot of kind of grunts or single words or I'm just practicing this phrase, that time is still worth it and it helps set good patterns going forward, you know, towards that lifelong learner because you're taking responsibility to go out and use what you have, try what you can, and in that you're building those relationships. And of course, with all of this, one of the big aspects of taking responsibility of our learning is by having a learning plan. And that's probably going to look a little different for everybody, depending on your situation. But if you've got a plan that supports a, a, a clear vision, then you know what you're trying to do every day. And it helps you to make the most of your moments. It helps you to know what other resources to bring in the learning process Maybe it's an app to use or a show to watch or what textbook to use. At this point in our world, there's so many options for so many of the languages we are learning that it's really becomes more of a process of filtering those things. But by having a good plan, taking responsibility, we can most maximize our time. And of course, with all of this, the caution is that we don't fall into the blame game. If we fall into that trap of saying, oh, well, I had a bad teacher or this situation was not ideal, that can hinder our progress. It can lead to feelings of frustration or even despair. And you might start telling yourself, I can't do this. I can't do this. There's no hope. And so by taking responsibility, we can flip that on its head and see that even less than ideal situations, we can make adjustments try things out, review how those things are going, and, and find ways to maximize on that opportunity. You know, as you're talking about taking responsibility, and even as you were talking earlier about the lifelong learner posture, um, everything you're describing um, just puts into my mind kind of putting myself into the various scenarios you were describing, like being in the classroom and maybe getting an assignment or having a, a bad teacher and, and figuring out how to move forward well with that or putting ourselves in scenarios to say, what am I going to do to get the most out of this learning environment or this situation, whether it's within your first few weeks or months or kind of like what we were talking about earlier, the lifelong learner. How, how do we sustain that vision? 
And that's something that I wanted to hear a little bit more from you about, uh, because so many times we find ourselves, and you were talking some about this, you know, learning language as if it's an end to itself, when in fact, God has placed us into these communities of speech, these places where most, if not all, of our neighbors are lost, and and we need to get to know them and, and learn how to communicate with them in their language. And it's so hard so often, and it's hard to endure, and it's hard not to prejudge, and sometimes just hard to sustain that Godward vision that can be easy. It's just easy to kind of get that vision lost in the thick of things when we're trying to learn words and phrases. And uh, to be honest, it's it's been difficult for me at times to sustain that vision. And I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about, you know, what what is that vision of, of kind of a Godward posture in language learning and how do we sustain it? Yeah, so vision becomes, like you said, it can be a tricky thing. And one of the things that I think about in relation to that is usually our vision, our end goal can feel a little bit nebulous. There are a couple things that I believe are helpful to aid me in continuing to walk towards that vision with language learning. One of those things is to write it down. And it doesn't necessarily have to be copying somebody else's gospel fluency vision word for word, but understand what your vision is and write it down and then revisit that vision on a weekly basis or every other week. whether you're feeling great about learning language or feeling bad about it, revisit that vision regularly. Keep putting it in front of you. And so that becomes kind of a pattern and a habit. And, and that way you're remembering why it is you're doing what you're doing. Why are you spending these hours going over grammar patterns and working on refining your pronunciation? Why are we doing that so that our we can engage our neighbors increasingly clearly about the gospel and with the gospel. And so having that written down and revisiting that regularly is important. But of course, with that, a vital step is having a language learning plan that is built towards supporting that vision. You know, what are the things that I do this week or this month or you know, these next three months, what are the milestones I'm looking for? Having those things written down as well, revisiting those, revising those when you need to, but taking that huge vision and breaking it down into those chunks. Now, what motivates those chunks, of course, is the big vision of our neighbors hearing about Jesus. Um, but by having, you know, clear plan according to your personality we can help work step by step towards that vision and, uh, and and be able to get there and hopefully a more kind of effective and efficient pattern. One of the key components of this is seeking to live out the vision. You know, from day one, what can I do to go out in my community and try to begin living out this vision of engaging my neighbors with the gospel? And that might look different in different situations, but at least asking that question in those early stages of language learning when I probably saying to myself, I can't do what my vision is at all. How do you, you know, start taking responsibility at that point to go be with your community, to observe in your community what's taking place and try to begin engaging your neighbors with those things. So 
So trying to live out that vision from early on, it's sort of like a on-the-job training. You're practicing that thing that you want to do, even if you can't do it as comfortably or clearly or fluidly as you want to at that point. So yeah, write down your vision, have a plan that supports it, and from early on, go out often and regularly into your community trying to live out that vision in whatever way you can. I think those steps are so important. Yeah, I think you've given us a very holistic idea of having that vision and then having the plan and then even the the small steps that are involved in living out that vision for learning the language. A lot of our units, we're motivated by, especially the new units, motivated by this idea that they just want to share the gospel. So how, in your experience, can you integrate this idea of telling simple, familiar gospel stories with your language learning plan? I mean, how do you get there linguistically? How do you segue a conversation from pineapples or or whatever you want to use into telling the gospel story? First of all, I think it is really important to be comfortable with the fact that it's a process. So, right, um, one of the things that can happen at times is we're so excited. As soon as we get off the airplane, we are so excited to try to engage with our neighbors that we maybe shoot a little bit beyond where we're at very early on. And, and that ends up resulting in a little bit of frustration because we feel like we're failing. And so one of the first things is to be comfortable with the process in the language learning plan I I, I use with a lot of folks on day one or two, they learn the word for frog. And there's kind of a joke like, why why am I learning the word for frog? I'm never going to talk about frogs. But understanding that is part of the process. At some point, you might be telling somebody the story of the 10 plagues. And what is one of the plagues? Of course, it's the plague of the frogs. And so that random animal word is actually a word that can help us to communicate the gospel. So my whole point with that is know that it is a process. But as soon as you can start learning some really simple gospel stories, I think you should start working on that. With this idea of process in mind, one of the key things to remember is start simple. We might feel that something like the prodigal son is a great place to start because it's a story that resonates with us and all these things. And it is good, but it's also relatively long. I would suggest it's better to start with something like the widow or the woman with the 10 coins. Uh, She loses one. In English translations, that's just two verses. And it's also relatively concrete. You're dealing with words like coin and friends and celebrate and sweep. Um, I mean, you need to learn to talk about how to sweep your house, right? And so starting there is really important. In the Thousand Cups of Tea, there's a process that's described about how to learn gospel stories, and I think it's a great one. I did a slightly different approach at one point. My teacher was not a believer, but I wanted to start working with her on learning some gospel stories so that I had a 
an increasingly large repertoire of stories that I could use and share with people. We start small and simple, but we want to keep adding to our um, toolbox of stories. And so with this teacher, what I did was pick several stories that I felt were good gospel stories that um, I can communicate out in the mountains with rural people who are animistic. So, you know, I was thinking through what are kind of some of those key elements. And then I'm not an artist by any stretch of the imagination, but I drew some really simple sets of pictures. And so I sat down with her and my goal with her was to practice and kind of build the story on a concrete level. I knew that I was going to have to look to other resources to kind of confirm the more Christian words, but I know those resources are available. So I sat down with her and I would try to tell the story while we looked at the pictures and she would just help me fill in the practical concrete details. And so we would go through it a couple of times and build a story that I felt was pretty accurate to um, the biblical base. And then I would have her make a recording. I would ask her to make a recording. And she did. I would go listen to that recording a lot. And as I started to get comfortable, I would look for opportunities to practice and start sharing those simple gospel stories with people around me. And so there's probably more than one way to approach this. Have kind of a plan that works for you. Start short and simple and slowly build that repertoire of stories. And of course, one of the key components is to go out and, and I say practice, practice, but really we're prayerfully seeking those open doors, those opportunities to engage people with those stories and listening well to our neighbors as they share, oh, what did they just say? Does this fit in with a story I can share? Um, looking for those transitions, but also you may be in an environment where the segue is simply, can I tell you a story? And this this became kind of my practice where I was at. Um, I knew the folks that I was around, loved to tell stories, loved to hear stories. I would chat with somebody a little bit. We'd kind of hit a pause and I would just simply ask, hey, can I tell you a story? They would listen to it two-minute story without any problem. We can capitalize on the fact we're language learners. Don't be afraid to use, hey, excuse me, I'm learning your language. Can I practice with you? I've been trying to learn this story. Can I practice telling it with you? Especially with strangers, we could use that even if we've been studying the language for 10, 12 years. They don't know how long we've been studying, at least initially. You know, I'm, I'm trying to practice this story. Can I practice it with you? And so growing in these simple gospel stories, we want to keep that vision uh, in front of us of why we're doing that, be lifelong learners. And, and part of this is taking responsibility for how we learn. And so we build those stories into what we're doing. And, and of course, memorizing part of that scripture while we're building those stories would be a key element to helping us have an even more robust language ability. Uh, a more robust language proficiency. You know, hearing you describe how you go about doing this just gives uh, us such a great picture of 
the um, the kinds of things that we need to be about in learning language and in developing, you know, a, a posture of being able to really uh, share the gospel with those around us in their language. And you've given us great handles for how to do this from day one and how to keep doing it well into, um, you know, years of of ongoing learning to be, um, you know, better better in doing this. This has been so helpful to hear these various themes to get a picture of it and also handles for how to do this well. Thanks so much for sharing with us uh, all of these um, tools and um, and things that can help us engage our neighbors with the gospel better as we learn their language. Thank you, Preston and James, for these moments to sit and chat with you about these things. Yeah, thank you. It's been very helpful. Thanks for joining us today. And, and thanks all of you for listening to the Language 180 podcast. Join us again as we continue to talk about these themes and others as we pursue gospel fluency across cultures.